Hello, thanks for tuning in to the Trinity Church Nottingham podcast. It's great to have you with us. My name's Johnny, together with my wife Amy, we lead this church here in the centre of Nottingham. Our vision is to see the church on fire and the city alive. If we can help you in any way at all, please feel free to get in touch and email us at info at trinitychurchnottingham.org. Okay, let's jump into the podcast. Brilliant. Well, um, a little while ago now, uh, when we were in the building, we were definitely not in this situation. We were um, having our normal worship service. And during the worship, um, I just had a very clear picture that came into my mind. And it was basically of a sea of people. And they were um, on the shore, um, on the shoreline. And all I could see was... um, um, everybody was on their knees, um, bent over in praise and adoration, in dependence and surrender. Um, and as I saw this image, I felt like um, God say to me that he is raising up a weak army, a, an army of people who are who are completely abandoned, who are who have given over their everything um, to God, that are completely surrendered, completely dependent. Um, and it's from that place of devotion, you know, that um that it was a it was a sense in which the the love for God was so strong um that forced us upon our knees um in adoration and devotion. And, you know, the last few weeks we have been talking about this. We've been talking about um, this invitation into greater surrender, into greater dependence upon God. We've been speaking about what it looks like to deepen our devotion through prayer, you know, learning how to connect with God, not just in those sort of hour slots that we sort of put aside, but how do we allow him into every part of our life? How do we connect with God? How do we depend? Um, on God um, in every part of our lives? How do we allow space um, in our day to hear his truth? You know, we get bombarded with so many other voices and words, but how can we be still enough to um, hear what he has to say to us? How can we be still enough to hear how he wants us to um, to act? How we can obey um, what he has for us to do in our day? You know, last week, Johnny spoke um, about Jacob and his wrestle with God. And it was in Jacob's surrender that he received the ultimate blessing that was only um, God to give. You know, he couldn't um, get or attain this um, gift by strength or strategy, um, but it was from pure surrender to God's authority that the blessing came. And so what then does surrender look like? We're talking about this a lot. To surrender is to let go of control, to let go of the things that we think keep us safe, to give God access to all parts of our lives, the good bits, the the hidden bits, um, the things that we would rather not let him see. Recognizing that God um, is sovereign over our lives. You know, surrender is a complete change of direction, a hundred, de- a hundred and eighty degree turn toward God. And you know, the the word in the Bible um, for this type of surrender, the word is repentance, metanoia, 
repentance. And repentance, as we've been speaking about these last few weeks, repentance is all about coming home. It is all about coming home to God. And, you know, at the beginning of this uh, crisis, um, I simply said to God, God, how do you want how do you want Johnny and I to lead your people through this time? How, how can we lead um, as you would want us to lead? And I felt really simply that he said, I want you to lead people into repentance. I want people to come home to me. And obviously that includes Johnny and I. He wants, he wants us to lead, but also for us, you know, how can we repent and come home um, to God in greater measure? You know, he wants us to let go of all the other dependencies and to know his ultimate embrace. He wants the intimacy that is available for us. He wants us to listen to him, to walk with him, to depend upon him for all of our needs, to involve him in every aspect of our lives that is what it looks like to come home that is what it looks like um, to repent to be at home with him and you know this is certainly as I said this is certainly what has been happening with Johnny and I you know it isn't easy this journey of letting go and giving over control and safety um or things that we think are going to keep us safe it's not easy um to let go but it is fruitful it really is fruitful you know we've been confronted by all the other controls um in our lives and it might be that that is what's happening with you at the moment it might be that god is bringing some of this stuff up to the surface things that we depend on things that we need for control sometimes crisis is the place where we're so aware of all the other things all the other dependencies that we have and perhaps this is an opportunity to give some of those over and put him first again and, you know, it's so easy, isn't it, we, to hear these uh, messages and even to sort of pray the prayer, you know, I surrender, I surrender, even sing the songs, you know, I surrender all. But it, it, it's, it can be incredibly difficult in practice. Like I was saying, it's, it's hard this time of, um, where we've been invited to give up some of the things that uh, we sort of hold on to. It's not easy to surrender. And, you know, for some, the idea of surrender or even giving it over, it creates actually a, um, a physical panic. You know, there's a, there's a panic um, that can come uh, upon you when you think about giving something over or surrendering your life to God. It, it can make you feel very fearful. Um, for some, honestly, there's a real cynical response. You know, what good is it to give my life to God? You know, what what difference is that going to make? It can often create that cynical response or a sense even of obligation. You know, oh, this is what I need to do. I must, I must, I must, I must. And then we're trying desperately to, you know, to tick the boxes. I must surrender. You, have you got it? Have you got it? Have you got it? You know, that sort of, that um, yeah, that sort of uh, need to make it happen in our own strength or even just that shame response. 
You know, I can't let him in to this aspect of my life. I can't show him the darkest places um, of my life. You know, it's a shame that brings the block um, that, that makes us not be able to surrender. And, you know, surrend- so with surrender, you know, it, it, it isn't necessarily then a problem of the will. It's not necessarily a problem of the will, but of the heart. It's so difficult because it's often a problem um, of the heart. And I was reading um, the other day and I just sort of felt like God really highlight this passage to me as we're talking about surrender and repentance. In Romans 2, it says, it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. It is his kindness that leads us to repentance. And this is really what I want to unpack today that he is clearly inviting us into, even for the first time um, or for the hundredth time, you know, to surrender our lives, to give more of our lives to him. That's really clear. But I think we need to, um, to talk again about who it is that we are surrendering to. If it's his kindness that, we, that leads us to repentance, And I wonder whether we have forgotten that it's, the, that it's the kindness of God that leads us home. You know, I wonder whether we've made it into such an obligation that we have turned Christianity into just to one big duty that's full of guilt. Or is it that our pain, you know, in our pain, we're so blinded to even seeing his, his kindness Are we so blind that we can't even see his kindness around us? And, you know, Jesus shows us, doesn't he? Jesus shows us. He shows us what kindness is. He shows us and is God's kindness. And one of my favorite stories, which Lauren just read, is found in John 4. This whole story is an exposition of kindness. It's an exposition of kindness. So Jesus is on his way to Galilee from Judea when he stops by a well. And at this well, he encounters a Samaritan woman. Firstly, I just want to pick out that Jesus makes the first move in this story. Jesus makes the first move. And we see this really clearly as he seeks her out. You know, she is on the margins of society, a complete social outcast. And he breaks down this barrier, this social barrier to seek her out, to come close to her, to come close to her. And, you know, we know that she's um, a social outcast for, for quite a few reasons. Firstly, she's a Samaritan. You know, he was on the way to Galilee, but he stopped off at Samaria. So often you would travel just right past if you were, um, if you were on your way to Galilee. But he stops in Samaria. And, you know, Samaritans were seen um, as unclean to the Jews. It was the land of the half-breeds. You know, there was a division between them that had been go- going on for years and years before Jesus was on the scene. These guys are arch enemies. But Jesus doesn't care. He doesn't care. He obeys the Holy Spirit that says, go into Samaria. And he does it anyway. 
He does it. He goes. Jesus goes into this unclean territory to make her clean. And, you know, we know that she's an outcast because she's coming to the well in the middle of the day. You know, it's the sixth hour. Um, that, that means that it's at noon. It's, it's at noon. And so she's coming to the well at noon. This will be boiling hot, absolutely boiling hot at this time. And the, and the well was a, a place of social interaction, a little bit like when we're um, chatting around a water cooler. You know, people go to chat with each other. But she's deliberately chosen noon because she knows that no one will be there. She knows that no one will be there. There'll be no one there to condemn her. There'll be no one there to spit on her, to chuck her aside, to not allow her to get water. She knows that coming at noon, um, she will be on her own. She doesn't have to face the shame um, if she came at another time. You know, the other thing is she's a woman. She's a woman. You know, it was, um, it was just not a done thing to talk to a woman, let alone a Samaritan woman. And so what we're seeing here is that Jesus reaches out to her first. Even in the, f- even in the fact that she is a complete social outcast, he reaches out out to her first. He arrives at the well first. He speaks first. He comes to meet her before she's ready to repent. You know, she's coming in all of her sin, all of the shame, all of the condemnation. Yet Jesus is there before she even arrives. She's there before, uh, he's there before she even arrives. And this is what God does for us. Back to Romans 2. Kindness leads to repentance. But so often we think it's the other way around, don't we? That God will only be kind to us once we've repented. That God will be only kind to us once we've repented. And we see in this story that it just isn't the case. It isn't the case. No one is too far gone for him to come close to. Absolutely no one is too far gone in their sin for him to come close to. His kindness can reach into every sphere of society and every part of you. Secondly, Jesus accepts this woman completely as she is. Jesus offers her a drink. He offers her a drink to meet the deepest desire within her. Not just for a physical, not just a physical need, not just a physical drink. So Jesus then leads her to think deeper. She thinks she's she's getting a drink from Jesus. But Jesus leads her to think deeper. He begins to show her the deepest longing, her spiritual needs. He, he shows her the state of her soul. And he does it by meeting her exactly where she is at. She, he meets her in the midst of her pain, in the midst of her sin. And he says to her, go call your husband and come back. 
Now this is the place of her greatest poverty and her greatest guilt. He helps her in this moment see <coughs> that her greatest need is for acceptance. <coughs> Jesus touches her inner wounds, her brokenness and shame, and pours out his kindness and mercy into it. You know, Jesus invites us to revisit our past, not to analyze it or to condemn it or to remain trapped in it, but to liberate and free us from it. You know, he doesn't just ask us to just go and get over stuff. You know, some of the behaviors or some of the um, fears and anxieties that are coming up at the moment, he doesn't say to us, oh, just, you know, just, just get over it and then come. You know, go and deal with it somehow and then you can come and be part of what I've got for you. No, he says, don't get over it, but give it over. Give it over to me. Give it over to me. Let me let me have it. Let me take it. Let me speak to you in it. Let me um, let me heal you. He wants to. Um, he wants us to give it all over to him. He's there already. He's waiting for us. He's 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 gone ahead of us. He's he's with us. He's in the room. He's just waiting for us to uh, to be brave enough to give it to him. And then let's see what he does with us and what he does with it but you know do we allow ourselves to know God's kindness will we let him will we let him speak in to some of these situations our guards can be so high can't they you know do we expect condemnation you know, do we go around with this sort of meter stick? You know, God, you can't come any closer. A bit like the social distancing, you know, that we have to be two meters apart. Are we sort of, you know, socially distancing with God? That we think that somehow if we expose or we give or we let him in, that he's going to condemn us, that he's going to condemn us. The truth is that he meets us where we are. He meets us in it. Thirdly, his kindness leads us into a covenant relationship. It leads us, he, he leads this woman into a covenant relationship. You know, the story happens uh, in a well. Um, and interestingly, um, stopping by the well in biblical times, um, it means that you're thinking of marriage. It's thinking of, you're thinking of this sort of covenant relationship. Abraham sent Isaac to find his wife. Jacob met Rachel at, at the well. Um, Moses met Sephora at the well. And I think it's symbolic um, because this is a meeting of love. And we read, don't we, in verse 18, 18 um, Jesus says that you've had five husbands. You've had five husbands. And what, what I think we learn here is Jesus um, is seeing past the behavior. You know, he sees past the five husbands. And he sees the heartbreak. He sees the abuse. He sees the abandonment. He sees the rejection. He sees the hurt and the pain. And offers her something better. A divine bridegroom. A covenant relationship that doesn't depend on her faithfulness, but depends on his faithfulness. He is offering her a marriage, a covenant relationship that will never, ever let her down. A covenant that will never be broken. 
You know, it says he will never leave us nor forsake us. When we say yes to this covenant relationship, when we surrender to this kindness, to this um, faithful love that God has for us, it is a love that will never be broken. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. He draws us into this divine life and he wants to share his life. He wants us to share his life with us, not just cleanse us from our sin, which he does, but to have an ongoing relationship with us. This isn't a religion, folks. This is a relationship with God. And fourthly, this kindness that we see in this this story of this woman, um, it sends her out straight away. We see her conversion moment, don't we? She puts down the water jug. She's revealed her pain, brokenness, sin, addictions, the wounds before Jesus. She's given it over and admits her need. She receives this living water. She falls back into this ar- into the arms of love. She surrenders it all to God. And then she goes. And then she goes and tells others what she has experienced. There is an overflow. When we know in our knower that we are loved, it overflows. And we can't, tell, uh, we can't stop telling others about it. She hadn't sort of become suddenly this perfect theologian. She hadn't suddenly become a person, a woman without a past. She hasn't. She isn't somebody who ha- isn't um, who hasn't had shame or um, who is um, always perfect in any way. You know, she is not sorted, whatever that even means. But she can't help go and tell others about her experience. It's not a chore. It's not an obligation. She has experienced the love of God and she has to show others. She has to tell others about this um, love that she has received. You know, she had met the kindness of God that led to a complete change of direction for her. Repentance. And it has to be that way around. It has to be that way around. As we receive his kindness, it then leads us to action. We receive his heart for people. We're kind to people because we've received kindness for ourselves. You know, she, she receives in this moment a new courage. She receives courage to go to the places and the people that probably spat on her, that despised her, that rejected her, that pushed her, that abused her. This is a supernatural courage that she couldn't, she couldn't attain herself. She's received this love that goes beyond her cir- circumstance. She's, she's sort of forgetting about herself. She just wants to declare this love to others. <clears throat> you know, surrender provides the motive for obedience. Surrender provides the motive for obedience. And, you know, we have an opportunity, don't we, to extend the kingdom by extending his kindness to a city, uh, to a nation, to a world that so desperately needs it. This world can be so unkind. And yet we have in Jesus the greatest kindness, kindness um, in its purest form to offer this world. And it has to start with receiving it ourselves in surrender. So coming into land, back to Romans 2. 
Kindness leads to repentance. You know, the word kindness here, it means Christos. And it comes from the word uh, krume. I hope I'm saying that right. Which can mean to give what is needed. To give what is needed. And this is God's kindness. That give God gives us what is needed. But the word also means to graze. It means to graze or to touch lightly upon. And I just love this word, to touch lightly. How many of us would think if we, got, if we gave God everything, that he wouldn't offer us a light touch, but a heavy hand? That he wouldn't offer us a light touch, but a heavy hand full of condemnation. Yet in Christ, we see the complete opposite. He meets us in gentleness. He meets us in mercy. He meets us in this kindness. You know, on the cross, Jesus has taken our shame. He's taken, our condemn- he's taken all condemnation from us. And in Jesus, we are set free. And, you know, this is, this is my story, you know. This has been a daily practice for me of giving over more and more of myself to God. And really how this has worked for me is it's been a daily practice you know, there are some times that we, we aren't ready to surrender. We can't do it. You know, we're not ready to give up that control. And I think what um, sometimes I've heard God say is, Amy, you know, can I have that bit, that bit of, um, of control? Or can I have that sort of dependency that isn't me? Can I, can I take that from you? And it's in his gentleness that I am sometimes like, God, I'm, I'm not ready. I, I can't. I can't give that over right now. But the int- what he's inviting us into is the intimacy that says, I can't give it over right now, but I want to. I want to surrender my life to you. I want to give you everything. Help me, God. Help me, God, give you what I need to give you. Help me give you the things that I clasp and I cling to. You know, there is no guilt in this. It is a, it's an invitation into a friendship with him. I was just talking to somebody the other day who read something um, in the Bible that really disturbed her. And, um, and, she, um, and she was asking me about it and what that meant. Um, and I just sort of simply, as I was talking to her, I simply said, um, I simply said to her that when we when we have doubts or when we have questions or when we read something that we don't understand, that we are invited to give that to God. We're invited to let him in, say, God, I, I don't understand this. I have this question. I have this doubt. I have this uncertainty. I have this um, um, this part of me that um, doesn't get it. Instead of squashing and hiding that from God, the invitation is us to bring it um, to him um, as we walk in this connection with God. So I'm just going to pray right now. And I'm just going to simply ask that 
God would um, even begin to stir up in us things that we need to surrender, but also um, open our ears to hear his kindness and his love. So let's just do that now. Thanks for listening to some of our teaching here at Trinity. We hope it's blessed you. If you live in the city or live outside of Nottingham and want to connect more with the church, check out some of our practices and pathways on our website. We call them one, few, company, and many. We're passionate about encountering Jesus, becoming like him, and doing the things that he did both individually and in our lives together so that we may see the church on fire and the city come alive. You can find these on our website under the Connect tab. Thanks for listening. Thank you.